And guess what we get to do tonight? This is Great Cloud Sunday. This is not like an ancient church tradition. This is a Calvary Chapel tradition, uh, Calvary Chapel Twin Peaks tradition. Um, I started this because I started to get to know some of um, our old Christian family members, our great rich heritage, starting to read old dead people. It's a thing, and it will rock your world. Um, and I started to think, my goodness, we can name more presidents than we can name people that are in our rich kingdom of God. Um, and now, of course, you can name the ones in the Bible, good. Um, but between that and today, I mean, our country, it, we're wired to think of our presidents. And that's what makes you a patriot, right? But we're also members of the kingdom of God. And I want, we did it, we started this last year, and it was so beneficial. I just like, we'll do this every year. The Sunday before Advent, we just look at some of our family. And so we'll look at five of them tonight, because we just have so many to get to know. So um, I have a few people I've asked to come, and uh, I told them between five and ten minutes. So this should be a normal sermon length if we all stick to my rule. Um, and we're going to get to meet some pretty, a diversity of people. Um, it's going to be awesome for different centuries, different countries. By the way, America is not the most Christian nation in the world. There are some rich, rich saints from many countries, and we get to know some of them. So, that is what we're going to do tonight. Um, you guys remember St. Macarius the Great from last year? Some of you do. Man, studying his life just showed me how babyish I am. We also looked at St. Francis of Assisi, a popular one. So, tonight, though, we get five. All right. So let's get into it. Let me pray. Tyler, you can come on up. Tyler's going to start us with uh, St. Simeon, the new theologian. And um, let's pray. God of the great cloud of witnesses, Lord of all things, seen and unseen, stir up our love to abound more and more. Stir up our love to desire what is excellent. And stir up our love to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Amen. All right, you guys. So when Brandon asked me, I was really moved by the early life of St. Simeon, the new theologian. And I think to kind of set this up, we got to ask, um, how, do, how do I mean a new theologian? So um, since the, the coming of the apostles... Um, the early church has actually described that there are only three theologians to bless us with uh, their wonderful minds. And uh, to be a theologian is to be someone who truly and wholly experienced God. Um, they, they were so deep into God and in and, and, and such deep intimacy with them that they can look at their life and they thought, wow, he obviously knew the Lord. Think about the first theologian was John the Apostle, the closest, the beloved, right? And so a thousand years later, we finally have the third theologian, that is St. Simeon. And he is called the divine light. Um, in Psalms, it says that God makes his ministers a flaming fire. And we actually see that in Moses. Whenever he would go up to Mount Sinai, he would stand face to face with God and he would come down and he actually was illuminated, physically illuminated. 
And they say that St. Simeon embodied this very same phenomenon, which is miraculous. Um, and so um, we are actually called to do that same thing. We are called into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. Um, and the only issue is that we're usually too busy overcomplicating our walk. Um, instead of just becoming faithful. In St. Simeon's own words, I did nothing more than believe in God, and he accepted me. And he is known for a phenomenal simplicity. But it wasn't always like that. He started off, actually, he was um, the manager of a politician's household in Constantinople. Very rich political life. And then he was basically being, um, he was being formed in his life to go and to become, like, imagine a congressman, right? And so his life was busy. For now, he was managing another congressman's um, household, which is basically like managing a giant corporation. He was the problem solver. When something went wrong, you came to, you came to Simeon. And um, this actually had a huge burden on him. And one day he went... And he started to seek out how to alleviate this. Um, he went to a holy man in the town, um, a, another monk who had uh, was in the latter part of his life, had spent years and years, decades, devoting his life to pursuing God, to um, coming to know him through the Holy Spirit. And um, in experiencing this man, he experienced what, what I believe was, was just heaven, right? He saw the peace of God radiating from this monk and he tasted Christ himself in this man and wanted more and it revealed his brokenness he confessed to this man that um, I am broken and I want more I see that you have heaven in you please show me the way and this man said okay fine and he gave him a very simple prayer roll um, a few prayers to read um, do some prostrations that's where you, you bow down before the Lord it's a sign of humility and um, he only prayed in the evening. Um, and then he also, this monk gave him a book um, of another monk who was a great monk. And um, St. Simeon received all of this with joy, with joy. He, he finally had the way painted for him. He had commandments, a sure way. Um, he had a vision on, on how to walk the road in, in this world to, to heaven. And um, so... He went and he took all of this and he got to work. He read the book as if it was a treasury of divine knowledge, knowing that all of this was, was gold. And um, while he loved it all, he took three main principles and he enacted them with simplicity as they were. Um, the three things that he read was, if you desire spiritual help, listen to your conscience. Do all that it tells you and you will benefit and then the second one, and I had to modernize this one. He who seeks the gifts of the Holy Spirit without actively observing the commandments of Christ is like someone who takes a job for the signing bonus and then immediately tries to quit with the bonus in his hand. <laughs> and then the third one. Blind is the man crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me a reference to Luke 18. This man prays with his body alone and does not yet have the spiritual knowledge. And then in reference to John 9, this man prays 
Oh, but when the man once blind received sight and saw the Lord, he acknowledged him no longer as the son of David, but as that of the son of God. And that man worshipped him. And when St. Simeon read these, he was enamored with them. He knew that there was a part in him given to him by God. As it says, the, whole, the, the law of God is in us. There is a conscience in him that is trying to direct him to God, and he need only be faithful and listen to it. And then he knew that if he would enact the commandments, that the Holy Spirit would come to him and would energize him in his life to better pursue God. And finally, he knew that right now he was experiencing blindness. On the way to God, he could, he could feel that he did not, he could not see the way clearly. He could not understand just what was on the other side of these commandments. But if he would just start to do the work simply, if he would just start to call out to God, that Christ would come and open his eyes. He would go and he would begin to see things clearly as they really were. He knew that if he looked at himself, he didn't fully have the love of God in him. He didn't know how to enact the perfect love of Christ, right? The kind of love that could go to the cross. But he knew that if he would start to seek God, God would reveal this to him and he could begin to embody the love of Christ again, holy. And so this was powerful for him. And he actually began to just simply enact the commandments and follow his conscience as it told him. And he began with just an evening prayer rule, just saying these prayers every evening. And though the busyness of life would still come after him every day, try to distract him, he would never let us, he would never go to bed without saying his rule because his mind would say, Simeon, you haven't done your rule. And so he would listen. And then his mind started to add things. And whenever I say his mind, I, I genuinely believe this is the guidance of the Holy Spirit in him, right? Um, it's, he started to hear that voice. Simeon, pray a little bit longer. Add this prayer. Simeon, call out to Christ again. Call out to Christ. You have strength. And Simeon would never disobey this voice. And this is simplicity. And this simplicity began to well up in him an intimacy with God, a closeness um, with God. And he actually began to call down heaven onto earth. And it said that he um, was one day um, just praying to the Lord. He was just calling on the name of Christ. And he said that his room was filled with a heavenly light so rich that he couldn't even see the floor. He didn't know where he stood. It was so rich he couldn't even see his body. It was just light. Light whiter than snow. And he was finally um, the, the, the vision ended and he was awestruck. He laughed with joy. For the Lord had visited him. And it said that he continued like this. He continued in this simplicity. And this wasn't the last time that he ever experienced this. Now, he was still in the world and, and things were still complicated for him. He fell into sin again, it says. But he continued to look for that, that simplicity, that faithfulness. 
He tried to just trust that Christ was his Savior, that Christ had given him a way to God, into the Holy of Holies. And he walked in that simplicity. And it said that he actually became so tight with this light that whenever he um, eventually ran his own church, that he was so he was so illuminated by this that just like I'm standing up here, he would be standing up here and he actually had that glow of Moses. He had that glow about him. Every week people would bask in the light and it was as if Moses, the man who intimately stood before God, was ministering to them on that day. And to him it all began with following his conscience, observing the commandments and enacting them, and trusting that God would show him the way and reveal his light to him. And that's St. Simeon, one of three theologians that we have been blessed with in this world. And up next will be John. Cody. <laughs> So tonight I wanted to share a little bit about um, St. Ephraim, the Syrian. Um, he, I, come, I came across the prayer um, through our studies in um, this past like, year or so, um, but it really pressed upon me recently, because I was almost not going to do this, <laughs> but I, uh, the more like, I looked in, into him about in, in his life, uh, I just kept seeing powerful examples for just us that we can take um, in our lives. Um, uh, so yeah, so I'm incredibly blessed by this. Um, Ephraim the Syrian um, was is really well known for um, writing hymns and poems and songs. He um, He's probably most known for his Lenten prayer that we've, um, we've uh, prayed many times before. Um, he, as you see, the, uh, the heart of the Holy Spirit um, is one of his, his titles that he's been given um, through his, um, his hymns that he's written. Um, it's very poetic, and it's, it's uh, the Lord has led him to speak on spiritual truths through those, um, those prayers and um, hymns and songs. Um, but as I as you dig, dig a little deeper into the, the saint, uh, you come across stories about him um, and um, just about his life. Um, really, really cool stories. Um, and uh, yeah, so he, he lived in the fourth century. Um, he was born in an area in a city called Nisibis. Um It would today be on, like, on the border of like, what is today Syria. Um, during that time, when he was living there, though, um, the city was in a place that was bordering two different empires, um, mostly at war with each other. The Roman Empire was, uh, had control of this, the area. And the Persians just kept on pushing throughout these years, pushing against it. And the city and Ephraim um, was caught in between. And so a lot of his life, he was experienced um, with, with, uh, with war. 
one story that Ephraim tells us of a time when the city was being besieged by the prisons, when the current bishop, St. James, was encouraging his church to remain faithful and pray for deliverance. Um, Ephraim, a deacon at this point, uh, is said to have brought the bishop up to the walls to see the enemy and urged him to pray for the overthrow. St. James went to the top of a high tower and prayed and said, O Lord, you are able by the weakest means to humble the pride of your enemies to defeat those to be, defeat these multitudes by an army, not of men, but of gnats. Soon a swarm of gnats and flies afflicted the foe, throwing them all into confusion and caused famine and pestilence to happen, ending what was a three-month siege. Um, and there's a handful of other stories like that that have him have him um, coming to somebody that is in leadership um, and directing them and helping them be encouraged or, um, to prophesy or to heal and um, very encouraging. Um, St. Ephraim the Syrian wrote and taught and ministered under four bishops in that city before going to exile with the Christians in that city. This, this happened after another war was going on and the prisoners and the Romans um, had to come into an agreement but basically the city was given over to some of the Persian um, uh, empire and most of the Christian population and community was driven out uh, in exile uh, Ephraim being more, uh, part of that settled in a place um, called Odessa and this is where he would remain until he, he passed away um, about 10, 15, and 10, 12 years later. Um, but this didn't stop Ephraim from ministering to the saints um, there. Uh, some have even commented that this is where he wrote most of his, his, his writings and his stories, where he ministered to the people um, the, in the streets. And, and uh, yeah, this is... He, uh, he would write and help and teach and encourage the church through these sermons and teachings. Um, he defended uh, orthodoxy against heresies that would try to divide the church through um, the teachings. Um, and this would also give him another nickname um, that some would call the Syriac Doctor of the Church, which is cool because uh, it was just because he would see a need, whether it was physical, um, emotional, spiritual, um, and he would go and defend that doctrine or that he would support and heal or prophesy. Or, um, he would see the need and, and try to support it and um, provide for that. Uh, another story tells of Ephraim's quick-witted humility. Once, when he had fasted for several days, a brother brought him some pottage to eat, but accidentally dropped it, so the food was strewn all over the floor, and the dish broken. Seeing the brother upset, Ephraim said cheerfully, Never mind, if the supper won't come to me, I will go to the supper. And began to eat it from the floor as best he could. Another well-known collection of writings, uh, second to his Lenten prayer, is uh, the, hymns, uh, the Hymns on Paradise. Uh, and this is one of those that I came across that really struck me, his 
poems and his uh, his symbolism that he writes. Um, incredibly beautiful and powerful, really theologically thick and rich, and yet somehow simple in the way that he was able to um, provide like a picture that we have in your mind um, of scriptural truths. Um, it said that he had a vision of paradise while in prayer and in his studies, and meditating on the word, he would just creatively write these poems on um, what paradise was like, what it may have been like, when we, um, or what it also may be like when we're brought into it. Um, and um, the part of it was what it may have been like as Adam and Eve grew up in Eden, um, as well as their fall from grace, having to leave paradise. Um, and this writing, this collection is just so saturated again with themes and symbols. Um, taking ideas and pictures in, from the Psalms and Genesis and interwoving it into a creative, uh, just meditating on the word as we would just like creatively work, think about what it would be like. Not writing it as doctrine, but as a, 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 something to meditate on. Um, and so I wanted to highlight just a couple, just because they're powerful, but um, just to add, I wanted, like, it's hard to take from something like this that's so real, um, because it's something that you need to read almost the entire context to be able to appreciate the entirety of it, um, to the whole context, as well as everything, just like scripture, is built upon each other, the, the symbols and the so that it becomes more and more meaningful. Um, but just to do a couple snippets, um, it's a quick passage from um, about Adam and him partaking of the tree of knowledge. Um, this is in his third hymn. The tree was to him like a gate. Its fruit was the veil covering that hidden tabernacle. Adam snatched the fruit, casting aside the commandment. When he beheld the glory within, shining forth with its rays, he fled outside. He ran off and took refuge among the modest fig trees. God did not permit Adam to enter that innermost tabernacle. This was beheld so that first he might prove pleasing in the service of that outer tabernacle, like a priest with fragrant, fragrant incense. Adam's keeping of the commandment was to be his censor, then he might enter before the hidden one into that hidden tabernacle. And it just, and it just goes on into um, the rest of Adam's experience. And, um, it's incredibly theologically um, enriching. Um, so, but you know, the, the more I began to look at Ephraim's life, to learn more about him, I became blessed even more by his example. Through stories that we have of him in writings, um, I kept seeing him as a, like, just walking in humility, serving the Lord and his people, um, through things that he knew, like his giftings and leadership within the communities. But he ministered as he and he taught right where God had him, where he placed him, which is where it becomes more and more relatable. Ephraim, whether it was in his hometown or in a new exile city. God used him to help the body of Christ. 
He was a supporter of those who were in places of leadership, like in the story of St. James. And other bishops that he served were moved by Ephraim's soft and prayerful guidance um, as he supported them. Later in his years, he was known for elevating um, the women in the communities who would participate in hymns and in the worship, giving them critical places of respect to be able to teach and serve. Um, serving also served the, the poor and those that were just in physical need. Um, and, and so Ephraim, to me, has been, continues to be a, uh, an example of someone that I think many of us could relate to um, when it comes to being used by God and how God has us, where he, how, where we are in our lives, God can use us and he uses our, our, our good things and our purpose. Um, and oftentimes we are someone that is a supporter of somebody else that is um, serving or teaching. And there, I mean, we just need to take great, great uh, joy in that, I think, uh, that we don't need to necessarily be the lead person that is doing this amazing, amazing thing that is seen by everybody, but because the body um, helps and, and moves together, um, being able to be someone that is able to come alongside somebody else and support um, and helping guide like, again, like um, we see in St. James's story, um, he was not the, uh, the person, he was not the leader, he wasn't the bishop, he was somebody that the Lord used to help that bishop of that city to prophesy and to pray to the Lord. And so he wasn't the, the, um, the main character in the story necessarily. But I think that's incredibly enriching to me because the Lord uses uh, people like that all over the place to be able to support the person's body. Um, using our gifts and my purpose. Um, so to end, I wanted to go through this prayer um, of Ephraim. O Lord, master of my life, take from me the spirit of despondency, of slothfulness, of love, of money, and idle talk. But give to me, your servant, a spirit of sober-mindedness, of humility, of patience, and of love. Yes, Lord and King, grant me to see my own sins and not judge my brother. For you are blessed into ages of ages. Amen. covering St. Macrina the Younger. Uh, mine is more of a testimony than a history, uh, but I'll cover some of her life. Um, unlike some of my friends and pastor, I haven't really delved into the works of certain saints. Uh, I just still have somewhat of a surface level on that, but I wanted to present this because I wanted to share what even a small reading of a saint can do um, and what it's done in my life. Just a small reading. And it's funny because this is exactly what happened last year, this month. <laughs> so, it's kind of nice. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm going to read this short account of Macrina's life first. Okay. So, Macrina the Younger was born in Caesarea in Cappadocia in about 327 AD. 
Her grandmother, Macrina the Elder, was the heroine of the faith under the persecution of Galerius. Um, younger Macrina was engaged to a young lawyer, but he died, and she devoted herself to the spiritual life, acting as head after her mother's death of her small ascetic community at the estate at Asana. She believed in poverty of spirit, owning only a simple cloak, a hood, a pair of worn-out shoes, an iron cross that she wore at her breast, and a ring that contained a fragment of the true cross. She slept on the ground and spent her life caring for her nuns. She exercised a strong influence on her younger brothers, St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory of Nyssa, which might sound familiar to you guys. Nine months after her brother Basil died, Macrina also fell ill. Gregory went to visit her and found her on her deathbed, choking with asthma. She tried to hide her pain, and they spoke of the hope of the, hope of the soul and of resurrection. At the end, she made the sign of the cross and tried to sing the customary hymn at the lighting of the lamps. She soon died in peace, and her brother closed her eyes. He referred to her in some of his writings as the teacher. She died in peace in 379 AD. So this whole account was interesting to me, but there's one specific part that just stood off the page uh, when, uh, when I heard this. And it was that she lived in poverty of spirit, owning only a simple cloak, a hood, a pair of worn-out shoes, an iron cross, and her ring. So when Macrina devoted herself fully to her spiritual life, she whittled all her possessions down to five items. Two pieces of jewelry and three items of clothes. Um, I just simply couldn't fathom wearing only three pieces of clothes for the rest of my life. That was shocking to me. Um, after being struck with that idea, I just couldn't stop thinking about it, and God just continued to keep putting it on the forefront of my, of my thoughts. Um, he just kept putting it there. So, I, I, God hasn't moved me to do many things, but he, he moved me to do this thing. Um, I felt as though God wanted me to do something similar to Macrina for a season, and he slowly revealed to me how that something could be played out in my life. Um, I ended up doing like a clothing fast, which I think is what, um, is an accurate description of what Macrina did too. I fasted on clothing. Um, Macrina only chose three items, but God was generous and let me pick ten. <laughs> um, it was winter, so I needed more anyway. But, um, so I ended up wearing essentially the same outfit for about a month, um, keeping it clean, of course. <laughs> so, um, but why, why do you think God had me do this spiritual thing for, for this short season? I wasn't sure until partway through. This is a bit of a confession. Um, he, he knew my heart, and he knew that I was putting my attention in the wrong places. Um, before this, I would often change, sometimes five times before I would leave the house. But other times, I would just think of the first outfit, and I'd put it on, and I would leave. So I said, I, but I never stopped to consider why. Like, why was there this split between this time that I get ready and this time that I get ready? Um, but during this time, uh, God revealed that to me, the times that I was struggling to choose an outfit, were directly paired with places that I was going that had beautiful ladies there. And I'm a married man. <laughs> I'm a married man. Um, God recognized that I was trying to keep some type of image alive that should have been fulfilled at the marriage with my wife. God used this as a humbling process like, Ms. like Macrina went through on a deeper level, I'm sure. Um, having to wear the same outfit every day leaves no wiggle room for improvement. You know? um, I felt like God directed me not to tell anyone about this when I was in it. Uh, so when I saw the same people, like not my wife, at some points, even two or three times a week, uh, recurring, it was humbling and uncomfortable. Um, I couldn't just tell them, like, yeah, I'm keeping my clothes clean, and I haven't just thrown my personal hygiene out the window. You can't, you know, 
I, they couldn't know that, uh, so I had to forfeit those explanations um, and leave it, leave it to their thoughts. Um, yeah, and, be, and just be molded by what God was doing to me in that process. Um, this was a challenging, very fruitful season in my spiritual walk. And I praise God that he put a spiritual ancestor in my path and used her as a prompting and encouraging example of someone who was fully sold out for God um, and would do anything for him no matter what. So that's McQueen the Deacon. or Samuel, known to, he was known to be dedicated from the womb. He was born in the 6th century, Papagonia, modern-day Turkey. Um, he was born into a wealthy family and received a great inheritance, but he gave it all to the poor and instead lived in a monastery. Um, he was so zealous in his devotion and asceticism that he actually provoked jealousy in the other monks, and um, he had to leave. Imagine being another monk and having somebody else's um, great faith uh, challenging you so much that that person gets to do that in the monastery. Um, so he left to live um, in a cave in the desert. Um, he didn't want to be so far removed um, from people, though. Uh, he liked to visit neighboring villages on um, pastoral trips. One night, he was praying for guidance and helping others, um, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, consumed really with the Holy Spirit, and the next morning, he left his cave to go on one of those um, pastoral visits and felt compelled to place his hand on a sick child. This was something that he had never before felt called to do or felt um, um, uh, really even um, felt able to do. He didn't have his faith great enough until then, um, as I'm sure some of us all relate to in praying for somebody's healing, um, we don't. Necessarily, we always want to pray the Lord's will and not not just specifically for healing, but healing if it be your will, well, a Lord. Because um, oftentimes uh, um, we don't want to claim a healing on somebody. But here he was. He uh, he felt um, the power of the Lord um, go through his arm as soon as he touched this child, and um, the child recovered from. Um, his or her illness, and from thenceforth, Stylianos um, was uh, sought out um, by sick, um, all of all ages, but especially the parents of sick children, um, which was fine because he loved children. Um, he didn't just uh, care for the sick, but he also was a spiritual guide for children. Um, parents would often bring them to him for healing. Um, walking miles and days and days just to get to him. Um, and then also they would bring their children to him for their spiritual upbringing as well. Um, so they would leave their children with him for a period of time. And um, at one point he had so many kids um, that he actually needed a bigger space. Um, so he had to move caves. Um, and he needed more help. So uh, he recruited for his help um, some of his friends uh, that were also hermits, um, and as soon as I read that, I laughed out loud because, um, you know, people are used to living alone in prayer, and then 
he not only seeks them to help him with people, but to help him with children. It's hilarious <laughs> to me. Um, so uh, if they didn't have um, if they didn't have enough things to pray for, then they of course had more to pray for in helping children. Um, and so this actually was a, could have been known as um, the first daycare center in the world. Um, I don't know if that's just church uh, lore and tradition, or if that really is the first daycare center in the world. But um, um, he had all these children with him that he loved and cared for. Um, and not only did he care for the children, but he cared for the mothers that couldn't bear children. He would intercede for women um, who miscarried or couldn't conceive. Um, this started with uh, a woman that was actually helping him with the children, um, and he had uh, he had seen her sadness, and she shared with him that she couldn't conceive her own children, and he prayed for her and her husband, um, and they conceived, and her husband was so elated that he told everybody um, about uh, about this miracle, and so then not only did he have the sick coming to him for healing, but also women who couldn't bear children were now coming to him. Um, for prayer and um, for intercession. Um, because of his gifts of healing, he was approached uh, by many people who wanted to capitalize um, on these gifts and monetize them, uh, just constantly approached by people. And um, he would tell them, I have been paid in advance for my services when the serenity of the Holy Spirit came upon me. Um, and uh, I feel like he really embodied Luke 18 when Jesus is um, when Jesus is telling his disciples to let the little children come to him. Verse 15 says, "Now they are bringing even infants to him that he might touch them." And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him, saying, "Let the little children come to me, and don't don't hinder them." For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And this is something that he really embodied both parts of that, um, letting the little children come to him, um, and then also reminding these mothers and reminding these people that were coming to him for healing that it had to be by their own faith. Um, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a, little, like a child shall not enter it. He always emphasized that, it's, um, that it would be by their faith that they would be healed, or by their faith that they would be able to conceive. Um, this reminds me of um, also Psalm 127. Verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Up until this point, I had um, always read that as biological children. And of course, it does say the fruit of the womb is a reward. So it does speak to biological children. But um, in, uh, in, in reading about Stilianus, um, I really did see him being blessed and being able to have that quiver full of children. Um, his faithfulness in God gave him this quiver full, though they were not biological. Um, in our own troubles, Brandon and mine, um, our uh, trouble conceiving or carrying a child to terms, um, God really did reshape my desire and uh, my heart for children. Um, 
I would read that verse and um, it would be, it would, it would hurt to, to know that, that um, this blessing, this quiverful, isn't something that was, um, that we were gifted with. We had to and they're wonderful and I love them. Um, and, but, we, but we tried to conceive more and, um, and often we wouldn't be able to, to uh, um, according to term, except for these wonderful ones. Um, and so reading that um, always hurt a little bit. And then, and then being able to read this in, in such a way in the, um, the view of Stilianos, um, it has been really beautiful to me because I really do now see this gift that I have of, of, of seeing children that are not necessarily biological children also as my own. Um, I've been gifted with being able to see little children every day as a preschool and kindergarten teacher um, and love them as if they're our own. Um, our sweet, beautiful little godson that visits, I get to love him as my own. And um, neighbor kids that come to church um, and play dates, I get to love all these children that come into our, our home as my own. And any future children that come into our home, um, whether that be just on a play date or whether that be somebody that gets to join our family, um, I get to love as my own. And so it's, I, it's really beautiful to be able to identify with a saint of, of um, being able to care over children and um, be a guardian of children. So I um, just want to encourage you to um, see these gifts that, that come to you um, as these children would come um, to Stilianos. Um, he didn't necessarily seek out the ones that were coming to him. He went to go visit and heal, um, or not, not necessarily heal, but he went to go visit pastorally, and he was given this gift of healing. And from then, he, um, from then on, he had this great blessing of um, this great family. So um, the faithfulness of, of somebody being faithful to the Lord, who obviously is not in a lifestyle where he can bear his own children, um, was given all of these spiritual children. So that is just something that really blessed me. And I don't know about you, but that was that was rich, and we have we have an amazing family of fathers and mothers who have lived the Christian life to the max, who've shown us what is possible. Um. Yeah, I'm a. I was going to do Athanasius of Alexandria. Has anyone ever heard of Athanasius? Oh, man. Man, he's a bear of a guy. But I'm not going to do him. Um, we have heard four very rich stories. And I want you guys to know that as I was listening to these four share, um, they were chosen for biographical reasons. Brittany's was chosen because she relates to how God used this man's weakness. Uh, John chose his because he related to or he was admired. He admired her ability to live in simplicity. Um, uh, Cody chose St. Ephraim of the Syrian because uh, if you know Cody, which some of you don't because he doesn't say a lot, um, but he has 
depth of knowledge, and he loves to dive deep into things, and Ephraim just has some deep writings. Um, and um, and just that, that playing the behind-the-scenes role. And, um, and then Tyler, uh, with Simeon, the new theologian, because Simeon pursued seeing God in prayer and through purity of heart. And Tyler, um, that has been Tyler's path for the last year. And um, Hebrews 12 says this. You guys have heard it for a few weeks now. After, so Hebrews 11 talks about these heroes of the Old Testament, these heroes of the faith. And then Hebrews 12 concludes with, Therefore, since we know about the godly who lived before us, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the cloud of witnesses are our fathers and mothers, the generations before us which have which have lived the faith, and then the generation under them mimicked the faith because they saw it was real in the people who lived it before them. And then the next generation lives it, and the next generation, and it's this this continually passing down of faithfulness because we embody this love of Christ, and we practice this faithfulness to Him. This is contagious. I mean, the whole world was changed because of this little virus called COVID. Because it was contagious. It changed our behaviors. It changed the way we treat other people. And a lot of it for the negative. This is what the Holy Spirit does to the world in a much more dynamic manner. We have had a 2,000 year contagion of the presence of Christ in the midst of human beings. And it is sanctifying. It is encouraging It helps us to run the race with endurance, even to the point of shedding blood, when we know that there is a great cloud of witnesses who have done this before us, and that they succeeded, and that their lives were blessed even when the world cursed them. And it strengthens us in the face of our culture to say, who cares if people mimic or mock the fact that I am wearing the same flannel for the fifth day in a row? Because my goal is in the spiritual life, not the physical appearance of life. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, surrounded can mean we have their stories and their testimonies, get to know them. It can also mean that heaven is not up there, because obviously if you're in China, it's over there, right? It's not a direction. Heaven is around and amongst us. We don't see it because it's in a higher plane. It's a higher dimension than what we experience. So these people, brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers who are dead in our eyes but alive before Christ, who knows that they aren't all around us? We're surrounded by testimonies of faithfulness. So because of that, Hebrews begs that we would lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely. Weights are those things that hold us back. Weights are not necessarily sin. They're things that make you and I live just like an unfilled with the Holy Spirit sinner in the world. Nothing different between us and them except we go to church. Oh, shame, shame, shame that the church is seen that way. We're no different in the eyes of most worldlings. We just go to church. 
We have a different temple we go to. Some go to football games, some go to Sunday church. No, no, no. We're to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Because if you're running a race, these things get in the way. And you start lagging in the back, and then you and I start to wonder, is this really worth it? Well, no, if you're lagging in the back, pulling a ball and chain, it's really not, is it really worth running at that point? Carrying around a dead body with you? Let it all go so that you may run the race with endurance. The race set before us. Looking to Jesus. How did these great clouds of witnesses do it? They looked to Jesus. How do we do it? We look to Jesus. Because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He started your faith. He will perfect your faith. He started it. He will finish it. He began it. He'll take us to the end if we are willing to get rid of the things that hold us back. If we are willing to like our witnesses before us, keep going. And brothers and sisters, some people commented that the great cloud of witnesses, the, the picture is an arena, that we're running in an arena and they are in the stands cheering us on. You're not alone. Look in this room. You're not alone. There's at least twice as many of us who are not here. We're not alone. And then we remember those who have died. We're not alone. We are carrying on an incredibly long kingdom. And this kingdom has been going longer than anything on this earth. Our kingdom has been sustained. Empires have come and gone. The power of men cannot keep kingdoms going. But this kingdom has gone for 2,000 years, and it will go on for eternity. Know which kingdom you belong to. 